Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat. And as you do, get a Bible on your lap to 1 John chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's one somewhere close to you. Uh, Grab that black Bible under the seat there, 1 John chapter 5. It'll be towards uh, the back. And as you turn there, um, every single one of us in this room know what it's like to make uh, uh, an extremely important decision. There are uh, those milestones in our life where we come to a crossroad and uh, we know that the decision we're about to make has ramifications on years of our life. Uh, Many of us in the room can think back to maybe a time as a senior in high school where you had never spent more than a week away from your home and now you're making a decision on where you're going to spend two, three, four, the next four years. Uh, We uh, might know what it's like to be a senior in college, to have literally kind of the the whole country at your fingertips. What city am I going to go to? What company am I going to uh, uh, work with? What job am I going to take? Uh, For those that uh, God calls to marriage, uh, you know the all-important decision of who you say I do to. Um, there, are those, there are those certain crossroad decisions we come to in life that are so much deeper than just where we're going to eat after church, that have years and years of ramifications to them. We can't bypass them. We can't get around them. We just all know the truth of it. There are just flat out some really important decisions we make in this life. Uh, today's message is about the most important decision you will ever make in your life. And I can say that unequivocally. I can stand before you today and say without hesitation, I will will stand toe-to-toe with anyone who comes up after and says, no, you know what? I don't agree. That's the most important decision. Uh, I, I I will go, I will fight to the death to convince you that this is the most important decision you will ever make. This decision we're talking about today does not just have ramifications for the years you walk on this earth. This is the only decision you will make that will have eternal ramifications. And the decision is, will you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior or will you you not? There's something John does as he's coming to the end of this letter that is absolutely beautiful. Like he just straight up, as graciously, lovingly direct as he can be, just flat out says, here's what we all got to know. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. And um, will you believe that or will, or will you not? Verse 12 really serves as the whole point of today's message. And verse 12 says this, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There is no clearer way that God could lay that before us today than in those words right there. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And so I'm going to plead with you today. As your pastor... And as a preacher, a herald of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm going to plead with you today to before you walk out of here, have settled in your heart whether you have truly believed in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin or whether you have not. And I'm going to, as uncomfortably as it'll be at times, I'm going to show us from the scriptures what God says about the joyful blessing that comes for those who will, and what God says is the um, horrific reality for those who will not believe in Jesus. 
Uh, today has two parts to it. Part one is simply this. It's to convince you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Uh, I'm going to try to convince you not from my own words, not, be, not from my own slick arguments. I'm too dumb to do that. When I, when I meet the highly intellectual person at the coffee shop, the PhD, who wants to banter back and forth with highly intellectual language, I'm just like, bro, I'm too dumb to do this. I just open the book and I just see that it says Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's all I got for you. And so all I'm going to do is just open the book and show you who God testifies Jesus Christ to be. And then in part two, I'm just going to ask us the question today, will you believe this? Will you believe this and receive eternal life? Now, if you're in the room and you are a Christian, you're like, awesome, I'm so excited. A message for non-Christians, that it is, but it's not just that. These two parts, the recognition that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the long-awaited for Messiah, and the question of will you believe this is not only for unchristians in the room, It is for us as believers as well. We go back to the things that we love. We revisit the places that we love. You go to the same place on vacation maybe because you love it. The gospel and the truths of the gospel are as a place that every Christian we should go back to often. And so don't sit here, uh, not a don't sit here, Christian in the room, and lean back and go, "Yep, I know this one." You will, you will miss it. Christian, lean forward today and say, we're going to talk about the gospel again. And it's still awesome. And I still treasure it. And then Christian, Southside Indianapolis Christian, who I love, Wrestle with the fact that this is the message every single non-believer in our life has to hear. Capiche? Father, please help us. Holy Spirit, only you can enlighten the eyes of someone who doesn't know you as Savior. Only you can call them to yourself today. For the glory of your name will you do it. Only you can rekindle the flame of the awesome truths of what we're going to study for someone in here who does know you, Lord. For the Christian, God, would you turn any flickering flame inside of a general a a, a believer in this room into a wildfire, a consuming wildfire over the truths we're going to study today. God, we come expectant now. Lord, I expect people to get saved today. And Lord, that feels presumptuous and it feels like we're holding you to something. But Lord, you love the lost person in here. You want to call them to yourself. So Lord, we'll come expectant for that. God, I expect this to reignite a flickering flame in someone whose faith is just lukewarm. God, do it for your glory. Why would you not? 
Please, Lord, grip us with your word. Your word is supernatural power, God. Please, would you unleash it in our midst today? God, I just ask, why not? Why wouldn't you please, God, do it? In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, start with me, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 5, and we're beginning to unpack part 1 of the message. Part 1 of the message is this, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is who? What's it say? That Jesus is the Son of God. And now I believe what John is going to do in the myth, uh, after he, he gives that last part of the sentence there, that Jesus is the Son of God, he is now going to take some time to lay before us an argument, a proof of that reality. Jesus is the Son of God. And he's going to do it with what we're going to find to be kind of cryptic language at first look. Look at what he says in verse 6. This is he, this is Jesus, this is he who came by water and blood. And we read that and we go, oh yeah, got it, totally, right. No, it's okay if you don't. If you read that and you're like, what? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Got it? Clear? You good to go to verse 7? What in the world is John saying there? He rolls out of Jesus is the Son of God. I want to lay before you a proof that tells you this. This is the one who came by water and the blood. Not by the water only, but by water and the blood. Oh, and the Spirit's testifying to this truth. John is, using, John is using super, super intentional language here. John is using intentional language that I believe the readers of this letter in the context would have gone, got it. Totally know what he's laying out as his argument here. Because the false teachers were arguing something completely heretical about Jesus. I think John Stott lays out the argument as succinctly as it can be laid out. And he says this, They, the false teachers, distinguish between Jesus and the Christ. Hear that? They, the false teachers, distinguish between Jesus and the Christ. This is, by the way, this is wrong, okay? Don't leave here today and go, I love what John Stott was saying about Jesus. Like, wrong, okay? They held that Jesus was a mere man, born of Joseph and Mary in natural wedlock, upon whom the Christ descended at the baptism, and from whom the Christ departed before the cross. According to this theory of the false teachers, Jesus was united with the Christ at the baptism, but became separated again before the cross. It was to refute this fundamental error that John, knowing that Jesus was the Christ before and during the baptism and during and after the cross, described him as the one who came through water and blood. Got it? Summary. The false teachers were arguing Jesus, normal guy. Mary and Joseph or his mom and dad. 
normal son of a carpenter, and like at his baptism, something miraculous happened. The long-awaited-for Jewish Messiah, the Christ figure, came down on Jesus, but then the Christ figure would never be crucified. The Messiah would never die on a, a criminal's death on a cross, so that spirit Messiah thing descended Jesus before his crucifixion, and Jesus just died a normal man, and all God's people said, this is wrong. And what John is laying out here, Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, from water to blood, from before his baptism and at his baptism and after his baptism and before the crucifixion and during the crucifixion and after the crucifixion, and guess what? He is still Christ and Lord. And John is just laying out an argument using words to strategically combat the false teaching of this whacked out theology about Jesus. And I want you to see this now. I want you to see uh, what is said about Jesus at his baptism. I want you to see what is said about Jesus at his crucifixion, at water and at blood. Matthew chapter 3 verse 17 Jesus' baptism. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my who? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Look at Mark's account of the crucifixion. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, those words, Aloy, Aloy, Lemesh, Sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah come, will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Man, I could go on that right now, but that's another sermon, okay? And when the centurion, we get this now, and when the centurion, when the guard who is standing there, like, boom, when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. John wants us to desperately understand something. It doesn't matter who I think Jesus is. And it doesn't matter who you think Jesus is. And it doesn't matter who the talking head on TV thinks Jesus is. And it doesn't matter who that really articulate author thinks Jesus is. The star witness in the testimony on who Jesus Christ is, is God and he's testified. He has declared to us, Jesus is the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, the long-awaited-for Messiah, Christ, Lord and Savior. So what, what, do we, what do we need to know about this? Verse 9. Sorry, verse 7. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. 
For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. See the Trinity at work here. The Father, the first person of the Trinity, is testifying to uh, the sonness, the messianess of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit, who is truth, is, is saying, yep, that testimony is true. And now, John says, if we believe the testimony of man, if, if, if I walk up and I say something to you, like, yeah, I believe Brock on that. How much more important to believe something that God is testifying before us? The key witness on who Jesus is has taken the stand, and it is God, and he lays before us in his word that Jesus is the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, the Messiah and Savior and Lord and Christ. And this is so important because every Christmas and Easter rolls around. In the major publications, as you're checking out at Walmart or Target or wherever your shopping druthers take you, you see the cover of the publications. Who is Jesus really? Who is the historical Jesus? Why did Jesus die? The search for Jesus, every single Christmas and Easter, boom, there they'll come. Let me save you the subscription price. Jesus is who he was last Christmas and Easter. And he is who he was the Christmas and Easter before that. And he is who he was from eternity past. And he is who he was currently right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. And he is who he always will be. He is God. He is Lord. He is Christ. Before you ever make the most important decision of your life, you have to have that settled in your heart. You have to actually believe what the Bible says about Jesus. You cannot trust him as Lord if you believe Jesus just to be an awesomely cool historical figure who taught some really cool stuff way ahead of his time. You cannot submit to the Lordship of Christ if you believe Jesus was just this like, that totally rad hippie dude who just loved, man. He did love. He loved with an all-consuming, purposeful love, but he is Lord who loves. You have to have this settled in your heart. And I would just ask you, is this truth of who Jesus is settled in your heart? I'm reading my great-great-grandfather's autobiography again right now, Billy Graham. And um, <laughs> No, no, you weren't going to go there? We share a last name. I'm sure we're related somewhere down the line. I am reading Billy Graham's autobiography right now, though. And I appreciate with the authenticity he goes into on having to come to a place. He had been wrestling with, like, God, is the Bible really your word? Is it really like the authoritative 
inerrant like word of God. And in his autobiography, he recounts the night, walking at night under the moon on a golf course where he hit his knees on a green and just said, God, I believe the Bible is the word of God. I will search out the questions of it as I go on throughout my life, but I'm declaring to you tonight, I believe this is the word of God. Some of us need to declare in here today, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Boom. Mic drop. It's done. You're Lord. I believe it. And this is exactly where John goes next. He lays out before these people that Jesus is the one who came by water and blood. The water and the blood and the Spirit testify to him being the Son of God. He is Messiah, Lord. He is Savior. And now, like rubber hits the road. Part two of the message. Will you believe this and receive eternal life? John's like, we got to do something with this. What do we do? Verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. What's what's that mean? All that means is that God has given his testimony on Jesus. It's what we just unpacked in the verses before this. And now John says, if you believe that, if you believe that, this testimony resides in you. Whoever believes that has the testimony of, uh, um, um, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Now, the scary part, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Whoever hears this declaration of God that Jesus is his sent son to save broken humanity from our sin. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. Whoever hears that proclamation and says, nah, nah, calls creator holy God a liar. God has taken the stand. He's given his testimony on who Jesus is. Whoever does not believe that is looking at a holy creator God and saying, you're a liar. I don't buy it. What are the ramifications of this? Verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The Lord pleads with us today as clearly and as simply and as urgently as he possibly can with these words. Whoever has my Son has life. Eternal. You believe in Jesus. 
He saves you from your sin. He reconciles you to a holy God. You get the presence of God for eternity. Whoever does not believe in Jesus does not have life. Scripture teaches to not believe in Jesus upon death is to be eternally separated from God in hell. I know in almost 2020 in American culture that is not popular. It doesn't come across PC. But 12 times in the New Testament, God pleads with us about the reality of hell. And you go, yeah, but what did Jesus say about that? Jesus was super loving. 11 of the 12 came from the mouth of Jesus. You need to hear the Lord today when he says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. My new path to and from work takes me by a cemetery every morning and every evening. And I didn't give it much thought. But I'll often have to stop at a stop sign with the seminary, cemetery, seminary. <laughs> seminary is a form of cemetery, let me tell you. <clears throat> <clears throat> with the cemetery all around me. And I've come to the place just a few months in where I've gone, you know what, there's something healthy and sobering about being engulfed by a cemetery every day. You're like, you are a depressing, morbid man. As I look at the headstones, I see a date, and I see a dash, and I see another date. And I recognize that only by the grace of God, I have a date and a dash. But I also recognize that as a 32-year-old man, I at any day can have date, dash, date. I just ask us today, not with some preacher scare tactic, but with a genuine, authentic love, are you prepared for the date after the dash? Because it's coming. It's coming. Like my favorite section in the whole church like sits down here. I love y'all. But I love these college students. And like I just look at you guys and I say, you're like, yeah, I'm 25. The date after the dash is coming. We don't know when it's coming. Are you ready to stand before the Lord? most important decision we will ever make is will you believe in Jesus today? I'll get around to it. Maybe tomorrow. Let me give it some thought. Will you bow your knee to the Lordship of Christ today?
I think the only way we do this is when we have a clear understanding of who God is, a clear understanding of who we are, and who's the only one powerful enough to mediate a holy God with broken people. So let me give us a clear understanding of who God is directly from his word. This is going to be a lot of scripture. Do not lean back, lean forward. Who is God? Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Deuteronomy 10.14 says, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. 2 Samuel 22.32 says, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? Micah 7, 18 and 19 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Psalm 50 verse 6 says, The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Psalm 1830 says, This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Numbers 2319 says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 2 Peter 3.9 says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance. Isaiah 40.28 says have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth he does not faint or grow weary his understanding is unsearchable that's who God is and then the Bible says who we are Psalm 144.4 man is like a breath his days are like a passing shadow Romans 7.21-24 hear these words and tell me you don't relate so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God and my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind 
and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Psalm 52, 2 and 3. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away. Together they've all become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Proverbs 20, verse 9, Who can say, I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. Who can say that? Ecclesiastes 7.20, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. 1 John 1.8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Who's powerful enough to reconcile a holy, omnipotent, omniscient, eternal God to wretched, broken, finite people? Who's powerful enough for that? What's his name? For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Let Jesus mediate this morning. Will you stop the intellectual bantering in your mind? Will you stop the flat-out rebellion? Will you stop making the excuses to delay? And would you bow the knee of belief today in Jesus Christ and be reconciled to God once and for all? get an awesome celebration right now. <clears throat> In both services today are people who are going to publicly go before us and declare that they've been reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. I just want to be clear what these these people have all been met with. They have all communicated a clear testimony that they are trusting in their salvation by grace alone through faith alone. They're all saying by getting in the baptismal waters that all I'm doing is I'm publicly professing the faith that I have put in Jesus Christ as the Bible commands me to out of obedience. And if you've never been to a harvest baptism service, we are a little unique in how we go about this. When someone comes back out of the water publicly professing their faith in Jesus Christ, we give it the proper reaction that it is due. We cheer loudly on our feet, recognizing what has just been declared before us. Another thing you're going to see is that many of these people will be baptized by people who aren't pastors of our church. Why is that? We believe the Great Commission is an all-skate, as we say around here. 
that all of us are called to go and to baptize and to teach, making disciples. And one of the things we get to share in as a church family is many baptizing. But I'll just say this. These people have come prepared to be baptized today. They have come having declared their testimony. Um, But one thing we see in Scripture is that when the gospel went forth, people got saved. People believed in Jesus. And then almost immediately what they did after is they were baptized to declare their belief. And so I'll just throw it out to the room here today. And I'll scare a lot of our staff and people by doing this, but it's okay. If today is the day you have believed in Jesus Christ, get out, walk out these side doors, walk to this hallway right here and come be baptized. Why not? Well, like I just gave my life like 30 seconds ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Timing's perfect. I I don't have clothes. I think we got some back there for you. But if we don't, we'll give you a towel. I'm serious. Biblically speaking, the way that someone communicated the internal belief in their heart was to get in the waters of baptism and to declare before everyone watching, I'm a Jesus follower now. When would you meet him? Today. Like 10 minutes ago. So I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit with that. But I will pray if the Holy Spirit is prompting you and has ignited faith in your heart today that you would be bold enough to obey the prompting. That you would not delay. That you would not say, I'm sure, you know, they're going to do a baptism service again down the road. Why wait for that? If you have called on the name of the Lord to be saved today, if God is so pursuing your heart this morning, and you have bowed the knee of faith to him this morning. Come, go to the side hallway and declare it before the church today. So church, you ready to celebrate some baptisms?